Welcome everybody to episode 39 of the Neville Watchers podcast. My name is Pete and I'm one of your co-hosts and I'm joined once again and as always by the Neville Watcher himself, Mr. Kurt Lewin. Hello Pete. How are you? How are you doing buddy? Yeah, yeah, yeah again. I'm doing good, thanks. Good. So, uh, today, as was explained in the previous episode, we are covering Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. I actually didn't say the full title in the previous episode because I forgot it said The Legend of. So, anyway, uh, first, full disclosure, probably some of the names might get wrong, unfortunately, because there's a lot of Chinese nationals and, yeah, not native to the language. So, I'm going to run through the, cra- the cast list quickly. So, uh, um... Starting with uh, uh, Simu Liao as Shang-Chi, Aquafina as Katie, um, Tony Chiao-Wei-Leng as um, Zhu Wen-Wu, uh, Ben Kingsley as Te- Trevor Slattery, probably the only one I can pronounce properly, uh, Ming-Er Zheng as uh, uh, Ling, uh Fala Chen as Li, and Michelle Yeoh as Ming-Nan. Uh, written by Daniel, uh, Destin Daniel Cretin and... Uh, Dave Callahan, and it's directed by Des- Destin Daniel Cretin. So, we had a small discussion about this one uh, briefly the other night, where we both said that we were quite interested to see what each other thinks about this one. So, Kurt, take it away because I've been sitting on tender hooks for a couple <laughs> of days now. All right. What did you think? Um, well, spoilers for the end of the episode. I think this is a top three Marvel film for me. Whoa, okay. Um, so, like I said to, uh, said to you in the message, but full disclosure, I predicted that I thought you were going to like this. Mm. So, not really very surprised about that one. So, okay. obviously we we're going to discuss, obviously, the key key points of the plot, you know, things we liked, things we didn't like. Um, I'm actually going to leave most of my thoughts until the very end. Okay. So, um, do you want to run through a couple of bits of trivia before we carry on? Yeah. So, uh, Simu Liao, uh, when cast as Shang-Chi, was uh, knowledgeable in both in Taekwondo, gymnastics, and Wing Chun. For his role as the master of Kung Fu, he trained in Tai Chi, Wushu, Mai Tai, uh, Penkak Siat, um, Kram Maga, Jiu Jitsu, Boxing and Street Fighting. Pretty impressive nice, array of yeah. uh, martial arts. Yeah. Uh, so when... Him. No, definitely not, for sure. So, uh, additionally, when Shang-Chi is asked to fight in the arena shirtless, it's a nod to his debut comic, where he would appear shirtless throughout the uh, early comic run. This was in itself an homage to Bruce Lee movies, where Bruce Lee often fought shirtless. And, to carry on with that theme, in the, 90- in the late 80s, Stan Lee had considered a film and TV series about Shang-Chi and had in mind Brandon Lee as the as the starring role. Unfortunately, that didn't that plan fell through. So, well, that was quite interesting. Yeah. Um just to bring up something now because I don't want to forget it by the end of the episode. Sure. And um, it is one of the this isn't really a criticism. Um but it kind of is. Um, okay. Is what he wears in the at the end of the film is that his costume? Uh, you mean the dragon suit? Yeah. 
I believe so, but I haven't seen enough of the comic iterations to know for sure, but I would assume so, because it appeared in quite a lot of the promotional art. Right, because I think, um, despite him now being one of my favourite Marvel characters, I think he's probably got the worst suit of them all, if that if that is his suit. I I would assume that it is. It's the like, like I said, we'll go through the plot in a major way, but there is a situ, there is a moment, obviously, before the, the last fight, where him and his sister both do get some, some threads, let's say. So, I believe that probably is his suit. No, I'm not um, a big fan of it either. No, it's just very plain and ordinary. Don't yeah, they not they, not even got like um. A logo on it or anything <laughs> no but then again i don't think every marvel hero needs to advertise that they've got you know no, no. a logo for themselves it's not like superman where he needs a giant s on him no yes mate we know you're superman <laughs> okay anyway so let's run through some through this film shall we yeah so we start off in ancient times where a man who is called as uh, you um yeah. He is. Um, he discovers the ten mystical rings. Um, mm-hmm. Those uh, grant him with immortality and unmatched power, and he goes about conquering um, the world. Um, mm. And also founding the Ten Rings organization, which is like a terror terrorist syndicate, um, which yeah, it spreads over every corner of the world throughout the millennium. Yep, which is uh, quite an interesting callback, obviously, to the very first Iron Man movie. Yeah. And to the third. Uh, so, even with this power, though, he's, he's still not satisfied, and um, he hears of the uh, ancient village of Talo, and he beca- he wants to enter the realm that realm because for its mystical creatures. So, yeah. In more modern times, in specifically 1996, he ventures into like a bamboo maze and comes across Ying Li, um, who is guarding the entrance to uh, Taylo. Um, and they they have a fight, but during this fight, they like catch each other's eyes, um, lock eyes on multiple occasions. Yeah. Um, and even though she manages to defeat him, they fall for each other, and then they run off together. So she abandons the village, mm-hmm. um, and they go and have um, two children, one of which is Shang Chi. Yeah. Um, so that's the setup. We then go to the present day with Shang Chi, who is in San Francisco. Yeah, um, sorry. Let me just um, let me just bring this back actually, because um, I think whilst we have kind of skipped open over this opening, it's about ten minutes long. Um, I'd say most of it is more set up, but actually the fight itself between um, Wu and Lee is absolutely fantastic. Yeah, like so so much visual iconography, like it sets the scene perfectly. Like you can tell the shift in emotion, obviously from. Uh, threat to um mild attraction throughout that fight and then obviously um Wu then has to sit sit defeated but then manages to find her again and love blossoms and like you said it moves on to then having children which it's a really nice scene actually a really good way to actually open up the um the whole narrative 
so yeah in the present day we are in san francisco um this did surprise me as a location because um at this point i didn't know where the film was going to be heading so for all i knew yeah. the whole film was going to be set here um okay. but with um ant-man also being in san francisco i was a little surprised that they'd chosen this as a location um, again at this point mm. in the film anyway yeah, I'll be I'll be honest. I'm not sure whether this plays into obviously the comic backstory and whether or not they use this as a base of operation generally. But um, it must be something to do with Marvel. They must either set their set their films or their TV or comics in either New York or San Francisco. Yeah. Um. So yeah, he's working alongside his best friend Katie as a hotel valet. Yeah. Um, they um, they go back to I know I think this this happened yeah they go back to her parents and there's a bit of a discussion about them being overqualified for their jobs um, but they don't care because they enjoy it yeah so what what you see in that in between time is that they finish they, they go on a joyride with, with a car at work they then finish their shift and then pretend that they're going to be responsible and go home and then end up um going to a karaoke bar all night yeah and, and i think falling asleep there yeah i think straight from the off you i think these two have a really good chemi- convincing chemistry that you uh, you'd believe that they're best friends yeah you would but i will um all I'm going to say about this one is I really do not think Aquafina is a very good actress, though, because there are moments throughout the film where her reactions are kind of annoying. Um, but I, I do get where you're coming from with this one. You can feel the sort of genuine uh, friendship, like, aspects of their relationship. Yeah. Um. Then, after this, there. Um, basically on the way to work I think Um, Mm -hmm. and this is the highlight of the film for me it's the best part of the film for me as well and I think it's one of the best things Marvel's ever done so now um, can now can you finally understand why I've been banging on this drum about good fight sequences for ages and why Marvel doesn't do them because when they do do them they are superb yeah this this um this was incredible. So just to let the audience know, we're talking about the bus scene. Yes. So uh, they yeah they're, they're on their way to work and uh, someone uh, someone comes over and has a discussion with Shang about his his pendant. A fight a fight then ensues and it's just it is chaos. Yeah, but spectacular. And you've, oh, yeah. But you've got. You've got everything in there. It's so well choreographed. Um, mm. Every punch lands, um, yeah. and yeah, you can tell the um, the actors um, training in all those different martial arts you mentioned earlier. Yeah, that's why I've decided in, to bring it up. <laughs> yeah, like you can see that coming into effect. Um, it's just it's just brilliant and you've even got the humor in there as well with the guy who's um filming it for the, i don't know what he's filming it oh he's doing it for doing a live stream of some yeah. sort isn't he yeah yeah i did think that was mildly amusing actually it was like yeah i did i did take martial arts <laughs> like, yeah yeah did, did, did you really take martial arts 
Yeah. <laughs> and there's like another one like where he's um does it say something like you've got you've got this. Um, yeah, and then, <laughs> yeah, and, yeah, yeah, and then he sees the sword come out. Is like, oh, okay, well, yeah, maybe not. <laughs> yeah. So even though, probably, if if you think deeply about it, in that situation, the guy you wouldn't have a guy doing that um, in that no, extreme situation. Like, I know you get videos of people on like public buses filming scuffles, but. Mm. Um, yeah, you wouldn't do it on this scale where your bus is about to crash and stuff. No, definitely not. Especially when you see a guy with a sword, for, a sword basically yeah. for a sword for a hand, yeah, uh, chopping up half a section of a bus. Yeah. So it was, yeah, yeah, bit intense, really. And I'm not sure that he'd be announcing that. You probably, I think, at the beginning of the fight, if it was the real world, you'd probably hear someone shouting "World Star." <laughs> yeah. So, but yeah. Uh, I can't praise this scene enough. It's, I think I'd be confident to say it is the best fight sequence for me anyway in the whole of the MCU I've seen so far. Uh, I would 100% agree with you in every aspect of that. Um, it's, like I said to you before, this is why I've made such a mention of it. It's minimal cuts. It's very easy to follow. It's just very, very, very well choreographed and... All the action that happens surrounding it, with with the peril of the the additional passengers being on there, with Katie having to take control of the bus after the driver gets knocked down, yet there's a bit of a ridiculousness aspect of it of how she manages to stop the bus. But we're we're here for the fight sequence, and the fight sequence is just magnificent. Yeah. So, um. Yeah, those the bad guys on the bus, they were wanting to get his pennant and um, they do get away with it. Yeah, so it manages to be like grabbed during the scuffle somehow. Yeah. So they after the fight, um Sh- uh, Sean goes back to like his apartment and mm. we see this postcard that he believes was sent from his sister, who he mm-hmm. now believes is also going to be under threat. Um, yeah, and that is a postcard from um, where is it they go to? Oh, Maca- Macau. Uh, Macau, um, yeah. And so they they head on a flight there. There's another funny mm. moment I thought on the flight where you've got the um, air hostess asking them what they wanted to eat. I found this cr- I found this moment cringy, to be honest. All oh, right, I thought it was I thought it was good. Yeah, it's, it, it, for me, like, it could have been funny, but it overstays its welcome. It's like the whole thing of, oh, do you want the chicken or beef? All right, I'll have the chicken. And it's like, ooh, sorry, we've got no chicken. And it's like she's standing around. It's like she forgets that she's an actual human being. It was like, yeah, if we don't have the chicken, yeah, it's going to be the beef, you know, rather than actually asking her, asking them both. It's sort of a bit like I can understand why some might find it funny. I just found it a little bit sort of embarrassing at some points. Right. It's just—it's mainly because the air hostess doesn't act human. I guess you could say that about the guy on the bus as well. Yeah, true. Like, there's, there's, there's a few aspects where it, where it hits and where it doesn't, where it misses. I think, and this is one of the moments where it does miss. Uh, also on the flight, though, he he reveals to um, his true name to Shen. 
um, and goes through what his life was like um, before meeting her. So, which does have a genuinely funny moment where where Katie is literally turning around and saying, "So you changed your 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 name from Shong to Sean, yeah, and yeah. expected not to be found." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that was good. Yeah. Um. So yeah, they they land in um in uh, Macau and they head out to um, the, a place called the Golden Daggers Club. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the lift, Shang Chi is um, un- he unknowingly signs a form, um, which um, places his name in in line for a fight on the grand stage. Um, so. Whilst Chen um, is spectating, um, the opponent op- opponent that uh, Shang Chi is going to be facing um, is someone who he immediately recognises as his sister. Um, she's pretty angry at him for um, leaving him, uh, well, abandoning her in the um, in the village when they was growing up when he fled for San Francisco. Yeah. Um, and she, and so they have a fight, and he loses. Um, oh yeah, she absolutely beats the stuffing out of him. Yeah, but to be fair, I don't think he's really wanting to fight. He wants to oh, talk, no. but she wants to. Be- she just wants the beat down, basically. Yeah, um, which is fair. If you haven't seen your brother for a long time and he basically abandoned you, of course you're going to want ki- to kick the absolute stuffing out of him. And she also reveals to him that she wasn't the one who sent the postcard. Yeah, so this is all an elaborate trap from Zhu, uh, uh, Wu, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, because then the Ten Rings, they infiltrate the club, searching for... Um, is it Zhao Ling, so his sister? Zhao Ling? Uh, yeah, Zhao Ling. Right, yeah. They're in the search for her pendant as well, because um, both of them are, are needed by yeah. um, the dad. Mm-hmm. Um and this is where we have another fight scene, which is um, also very good. Probably not 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 quite to the same scale as the bus fight, but also no. another very well done fight. And this one's a little bit more intense in, than that one, I would say. Yeah, they're uh, they're fighting on a bamboo scaffolding structure on the outside yeah. of a building. Yeah. Um. But yeah, again, I just thought I just loved any scene with um, with the fighting in it because I thought they were all really well choreographed and um, it was for the most like it really did chime into like the kung fu movies of yeah, mm-hmm. that I've seen. That uh, I think that was the tone and the what they were really going for is they were going for the classic Wu Wu movie, sort of like Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, the House of Flying Daggers, and stuff like that. So yeah. they went for a more bombastic, over the top um, uh, choreograph uh, fight choreography, and it works so much in its favor, obviously, because of the source material being, you know, uh, a master of kung fu would know quite a lot of disciplines, and that really does show within the movie. Yeah. And I can't speak to having seen all of those um, classic kung fu like films that you've just mentioned, but and and I do understand from when I was reading like some uh, reviews before this um, on the um, like what people thought. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, 
to my understanding, the fight sequences in this basically still pale in comparison to those films. Um, mm. But I still thought um, they were pretty good and entertaining. Yeah, I would say so. They're probably not quite at the same scale as those as those movies, and I could name so many more, but I'm not going to. But the the fight choreography is always something that's very impressive within those movies, and like I said, it feels like they're trying to capture that essence, and that I think they captured it quite well in their choreography in this movie. Mm. So uh, towards the end of the fight, um, Shang Chi comes up against the. Um, deaf dealer who was like his mentor growing up um, oh this is a guy with a mask isn't it yeah yeah and he um he is about to kill the deaf dealer but then his father turns up and mm. um and stops him uh can i just let me just bring this back clo- uh one second because there is a moment actually where uh, Katie's in peril and she's yeah. hanging off the side of a side of a bamboo and it's just about to snap and I just want to shout out the choreography of the the moment where he has to run across the the scaffolding and sort of um, parkour his way across to get to her in time. Unbelievable, yeah. like really well edited and really well like not many, like again not many cuts in it, so it's really fluid, really well well done. So. I want to shout out the praises of this movie as much as I can. So, yeah, uh, his dad stops him with the Ten Rings and um, effectively catches both him and um, his best friend and sister and Mm -hmm. takes them back to the Ten Rings headquarters where, um, at this point, there there isn't the same amount of, like... um, adversarial relationship with them because you see, we see them like eating dinner together yeah um, where um his dad explains himself a bit um with regards to why he, he wants them and why he wants the penance um mm-hmm. he, he reveals that his um late wife has been calling out um for him to save her um recounting that she left the village to be with him and he believes that the people of Taylor have imprisoned her for that decision yeah I mean I'm not too sure about the motive uh, of the villain in this this time Uh, it's just I'm not too sure I mean he's it's revealed later on in the film through a series of flashbacks obviously what happens to her and the fact that Zhang is uh, prone to what's happened because he's seen it all because and all that so he would know that his 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 mum's dead uh when the father comes back home he would know that she's dead because she's still there on the floor i i'm not quite sure i'm not quite sure why he thinks this but i believe obviously this is down to uh the ten rings themselves corrupting his mind yeah well yeah to be honest i kind of agree with you um in that i didn't know why he was hearing these things either but if mm. it was because of the ten rings corrupting his mind then um that's fair enough is that is that actually confirmed or just your theory because then i'd be mm. concerned for shang chi when he gets the ten rings at the end no of the so time. i think it's stated later on in the film when they do actually go to talo or have uh, is it talo yeah 
yeah, when they, when they go there, I think it's the auntie that obviously speaks to them about it, where they talk about um, the evil that's locked behind the wall and how it communicates to people, and it's happened for thousands of years. But it's calling out to him because he has the power to destroy it with the Ten Rings. So I guess it's like a combination of the rings itself and this entity behind the wall. Right. Okay. Um, it, it does raise the interesting point of what what will happen to Shang with the with the rings, which we'll obviously we'll touch on later on. Yeah. Uh, so with um, these two pennants, um, uh, he um, creates this map of um, a bamboo forest, and it illustrates a clear path through the forest, um, which only opens before this this festival uh, called Wing Ming Festival. I had no idea, but I know it's about, I know it's like once a year, I think he said, but if if you know the path, you don't need to wait for that time. Mm. So, um, when Wu, he reveals that his intention is to burn the village of Taylo down after rescuing his wife, um, which is a plan which alienates both his children um, and mm-hmm. Chen into raising their objections and because of that they get thrown into a cell um, this is where we meet the returning character Trevor Slatterly yeah um, and yeah I was surprised to see him again to be honest um, I so was I but it sort of makes sense really considering yeah, that who, who he is and what he's been doing and yeah the fact that he's in the prison with the actual Mandarin now, or what they call the Mandarin. And even mm. even to the point where um, when Wu even makes a joke about the fact that he's basically named of the orange chicken. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, it's quite funny to be fair. But yeah, I was a bit surprised when I saw this for the first time in cinema uh, that Trevor actually returned. Uh, not quite sure about his little travelling companion with him, but... I actually really liked that thing. I thought it was cute. It was kind of cute, and it does have a few good moments, but it was a bit strange that he's the only one that understands it. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Like, I think I think in this situation, right, you've got you've got the children of, um, of Lee, who is obviously part... Um, part Taylor like resident well she she is she's like a native of that place so she's had children with with someone so surely they would have the ability to be able to understand it too mm. considering yeah. it's native to their to that to tallow mm. so that's the yeah. only thing I didn't quite understand about it why is it Trevor that can get can hear it or understand it but they can't yeah it was a bit unwavy yeah, a little bit. It was it was probably a way to try and get him involved in the plot a little bit more, other than just being a cameo appearance, kind of like what they had with um, Abomination in this and Wong. Because mm. so, I so, did, because yeah. I, I, I don't, um, I remember not really liking Trevor Slattery's character in, um, so Iron Man three. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, I thought I didn't like him, and I know that was against popular opinion. Um, but mm. I did, I did quite like him in this. 
Yeah, I think he's redeemed a little bit more because I think he's actually finally realised that what he was doing was actually wrong. Mm. And as a result of having to spend some time in the prison of this absolute sadistic person, you've probably gone, yeah, I probably shouldn't have done what I did. Mm. So it, it feels like in this way, he's sort of trying to atone for past mistakes. Yeah. So with... Um the with the pet Morris that's oh, the yeah, key to them it's called Morris for Christ's yeah. sakes Morris is the key to getting them into the forest maze and clearing a path for them so they mm-hmm. head out in a car um, to the, this bamboo forest and make their way through the forest um, yeah if you didn't already realise the guy with the knife is actually called Razor Fist yeah yeah and it's because it's written all over his car yeah <laughs> uh, so yeah they managed to make it through unscathed um, and as they approach the forest they're in- confronted by the locals who um, aren't so welcoming to begin with no can we can we talk about this one actually because actually I think that the the peril of the forest alone is quite an interesting one but then uh, the imagery of them going through the portal to get to Talo quite imp- lit it's quite well lit and really quite vi- uh, vivid and yeah, i quite yeah. like it yeah and i did like um the short journey that they make where you get to see all the different creatures and stuff yeah for an introduction into tallo it's a very very nice one actually and it sets it sets a really good picture i think mm. uh so yeah they um lee's sister so lee is their um mum uh, uh, yep uh, so her name is Ying Nan um, yep she intervenes and um, welcomes them yeah because essentially they do not want anything to do with them and try and send them away yeah um, and she basically gives them a rundown of the history of Taylor mm-hmm. and um, the emergence of the Dweller in Darkness and its army of Soul Eaters um, yeah. who nearly brought Taylor to near destruction and they're now all like prison beaten or sealed off in that cavern yeah so it's a it's an ancient evil from many many generations ago that tried to take over their village and they uh, they locked it behind a wall and this is what they believe is actually trying to call out to um to Wenwu yeah um so yeah, Nan sus- the suspects that when you had fallen victim to what you just described, mm. um, and she trains Shang Chi in aerokinetic martial arts. Um, yeah, which is the martial arts that they, we see that his mum was using in the beginning of the film. Yeah, um, his sister she practices with a new rope dart, and uh, Chen she learns archery. Um, yeah. This is something I have a problem later on with, but I'll get to it. Um, and this okay. is all in preparation for Wen Wu's arrival. Yeah, now, I think this is where I have the biggest problem with the movie, for some part. Uh, the So what has been quite a kinetic film at this point grinds quite quickly to a very slow intermission. And this second act is very, very slow. Yes, I would agree, yeah. I'd definitely say the first half is stronger. Yeah, for sure. Um, 
So, um, from this uh, one night, Shang-Chi is sat alone at a lake and remembers the night of his mother's death at the hand of his father's rivals, the Iron Gang. Mm-hmm. Um, he reveals to Chen that he lied about not carrying out the hit against the gang's leader on his first mission. Yeah. Um, and he declares his intention to kill his father for his involvement. Yeah, so this, the, so it's this, it's this through point throughout the the vast majority of the movie that he keeps saying to everyone that he didn't actually kill his target back when he was sent on his mission, but this is the first time that you find out he did. Yeah, and it, it kind of breaks him a little bit actually trying to remember and recall it to the people that care about him, obviously. Yeah, and understandably so. He was he was trained as an assassin, and he took out he fulfilled his mission and that's basically what led him to leave it all behind because he obviously hated the feeling of having to do that mm. but it is so. yeah it is quite a thing to have a Marvel hero um, have done this in his past being a cold hearted murderer yeah and I think it sort of goes back to obviously the tone uh, the tones that we had with Tony Stark in the first Iron Man movie where he is nothing more than a billionaire and a warmongerer and mm. eventually starts to atone for that by creating the Iron Man suit to, you know, to do good. And and basically, whilst he might have been misguided across the entire thing, like putting the suit of armour around the world, it, he had the best of intentions because of his past. And I think that's, that is sort of the arc that we're trying to go for in this one as well. And I, think, I do think it works for the most part. Mm. Uh, so, we then come to the next day where when you when the ten rings begin their invasion mm-hmm. um shang chi he has a big fight with his father um at this point um it goes against what we've seen in the film so far and that it does become quite heavily cgi based rather than just focusing on the martial arts even though the martial arts still in there yeah, you've got yeah, a lot of the ten rings um and yeah, doing so that, thing. I didn't have the problem with the Ten Rings. It was just, um, it just felt like to me that a lot. I I don't know. I'm obviously we've probably heard this in other podcasts before, and let's not mention the other one because they're kind of rivals. Um, <laughs> but you know the fact that you can kind of tell that some of this is green screened, and it's. Yeah. I think, and particularly the first fight between Wenwu and Shang, it is very, very noticeable how much of it is green screen. In fact, even the second fight, I would say more so. Yeah. But this second half is where it really falls down for me because I think it was the it was the Marvel over reliance on a CGI threat, let's say. Yeah. So yeah, this was something I picked up on in the reviews is that it didn't like how it. In the end, it does just go into being a typical Marvel CGI fest. Yeah. Um, and that is a fair argument, and I'm not going to say people are wrong for having that. I see. Mm-hmm. I definitely see where they're coming from. I think for me, though, it I didn't mind it as much because, yes, it was all like CGI, but I appreciated the fact that it was with a different theme and setting location so what i'm saying there is um when we've seen this typical marvel finale before 
nine times out of ten it's either happening in a city like a yep this like new york or whatever um or it's happening in space yeah i i get you there so at least this one it's sort of in an area that's not a not somewhere i've explored before yeah for sure and and i know that it was like you still got this huge monster flying around Mm -hmm. um but at least it was like this this dragon yeah Um, Uh, which isn't something i'd ever expect to see in a marvel film yeah, but this I think a lot of this is obviously trying to go down um go down the line of ancient Chinese proverbs and mystical stories that are sort of very much a part of their culture and part of their history. So it's trying to be respectful to the source material obviously of Shang-Chi, but it's also trying to be respectful to uh Chinese culture. And yeah. obviously dragon is like dragon iconography is like massive in Chinese culture, so I can see what they were going for here, but I just think for me it was just the over over reliance on the CGI when the first half of the movie had shown that they don't have to rely so heavily on that CGI to have a good fight sequence. Yeah. No, I think that's I do I think that's fair to say. Yeah. Even yeah. It it just didn't bother me as much. That's fair. Like each to their own in these sorts of respects, of course. I we yeah. all have differing opinions and I uh, for me it just took me out of the movie a little bit more than it probably did with you mm. um, the one issue I do t- have with this whole final sequence though is how the um, the evil dragon I had no idea what it's called um, oh, uh, what so, the death eater basically yeah is it? yeah that's right um, the way that that's taken down um, so it is by uh, um, it, that's that dragon is trying to eat the other dragon's uh, heart, and I think if it consumes its heart, then it mm. would become like this all-conquering beast that's going to destroy the world. Yeah. So what we what we see is um, basically the little the little death eaters are basically taking the souls of the devoured and charging this massive death eater up with those souls. But what what they do know what they do state is that if the I don't recall the name of the actual dragon itself. It, it's obviously the um, the protector of the village of uh, of them. And um, if they manage, if it does manage to uh, inhabit the soul of that dragon, it will become nearly uh, like infinitely powerful and will never be able to be taken down. Yeah. So. There's there's a bit of threat and a bit of peril with that one, but I f- I have issue I do have an issue with how they took it down as well. Yeah, well I'm gonna guess it's the same one as me in that. So it gets taken down because um, Chen fires arrow through its neck from a huge distance away. Yeah, that's the thing. That it's doesn't, from a that huge doesn't lose altitude. Doesn't lose altitude. <laughs> Yeah, well, this uh, this was uh, what something I was going to ask you in case you knew. Uh, I di- I didn't know whether those arrows they were firing were some kind of magical arrow. Well, no, I, I, so, yeah, because no. to me they just looked like an arrow with a fire head on the end. So essentially, what had happened before when uh, the Death Eater had once came out, I think this is part of their legend. When they locked it behind the wall, the um, the dragon had given them the ability to fight it off 
which is why all of the weapons are all cased in red, which is basically like a dragon skin. Yeah. So I think the arrows are also cased in the in this um in this element that can take it down. Right. So cuz if you see the 10 rings members, they all especially Razor Fist when they finally decide to switch sides because they've got a much bigger threat on their hands. Mm. Uh he tries to take it down with his regular sword and it just keeps trying to kill him only mm. until someone actually stabs it with a dragon bound weapon that he actually decides to change it. Mm. So I think it I think it is imbued with a, a mystical power. Right. But yeah, the main problem is that she shoots it from like we see it go through its neck and at first I thought, well is it like is low it to the ground? I thought no, I thought is it is, oh, is okay. this low to the ground? But then in the very next scene you see that it's like miles up in the air. Yeah, and, and she's think, she's like well low to the like on the ground. She's on the ground. Like, yeah. She's never fired an like a bow up until a few days ago. Yeah, and literally nailing nearly every single shot that she does, but she's not battle ready. Like the whole stress of a of a battle situation would mean that most people wouldn't succeed in this in this shot. So it's a oh, little yeah. bit sort of outrageous to think that she's she's the one that takes it down or makes the start. I think even if it had been one of the seasoned veterans with an arrow, the laws of physics would mean that there's no chance in in hell that an arrow is going to get up that far without... Oh, of course, um, yep. ...arcing down. Yeah, that was me just putting it lightly. I could obviously have gone into that, that whole thing. But yeah, it would have lost altitude long before it happened. <laughs> yeah. Because you look at the distance between the actual land and the um, and the wall, it looks like miles... Like looks like oh, yeah. actual miles, and they're like about probably about a couple of miles out into into the on the water. Well, so even there's if no way she makes this shot. Well, not not only are they over the water, the the battle is happening miles in. Well, not maybe not miles, but at a very high altitude. Yeah. So it's just completely ridiculous. Mm. They needed a hero moment for her, I guess. Yeah. Um, and I guess is this a m- moment where she, you thought what she said after was a bit cringy? Yes, for sure. Delivery was cringy and all off. And it was, to be honest, it was, for me, it's her voice. It does, when she gets really excited by something, it goes up like another pitch and it is quite grating. Hmm. I, I guess also, I didn't really. Like I know why for the film's purpose and like why she is is in this film throughout it, but to mm-hmm. me it didn't make sense why um, the when 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 you when Wu why mm-hmm. he thought it was a good idea to bring her back along with Shang Chi and his sister back to um, the Ten Rings headquarters. Yeah, I have no idea either. Surely you would just leave her in the middle of China and just let her get her own way home. Yeah, and also later on, well, in in the final sequ- final scene that we're going to come on to now of the film, mm-hmm. um, where they sat in the bar and um, Wong emerges and yeah. he, he's telling them that they've got to come with him. 
Yeah, and, both of them. Yeah, and that their lives are never going to be the same again. And I was like, well, what? She's not a superhero. <laughs> she's no. Why, she's just... why is this going to affect her? No, she's. It's just crazy. She's now just an archer. That's all it is. Yeah. And it'd be like if in Spider-Man there was like saying to Ned, you're like, you're just as important as as Spider-Man. Yeah, obviously we're going to talk about that film probably in a few <laughs> a few episodes time. Mm. So, yeah. yeah. Um, post-credit sequence is Carol Danvers, Bruce Banner and Wong there. Um, they're all chatting. Yeah, um, talking to Shang about the state of the multiverse, I think it is. Yeah, um, yes, and, and well, the, is showing him the the ten rings. Yeah, um, and they're the mystical relics. Um, they're shown to be having a beacon transmitting a mysterious message. Yeah. So you would imagine that's probably some kind of message that's being transmitted across the vault, across the multiverse to somebody, but we just don't know who. Yeah. Um, and that's that's the end. Yep. That's. Um, there was two credit sequences. I can't remember what one of them was. Was it was one of them the no one the Wong sequence was actually at the end of the film. And yeah. You had that and I can't remember what the very end one was, but doesn't really matter probably wasn't that important now i thought i think i thought the carol danvers and bruce banner one was the post-credit sequence okay yeah fair enough um, i mean they usually have two but i i don't know if it's this one did because i can't remember oh, i think I've it was just film three um, times i think it was just jailing going back to the ten rings headquarters to become the new leader that was it yep yeah, she Yes, she takes over as the head of the Ten Rings. Yeah. She's going to be quite interesting to see going forward. Is she going to become a villain? Hmm. So, yeah, shall we go on to ratings? And sure, yeah. Uh, I'll let you take this first. Uh, so, yeah, I thought this was um, a brilliant film. Um, whilst I do... Uh, I'm, I'm going to give it a four because I, okay. would, I would agree that the second half isn't as strong as the first half but i think if um i think if um, it had been able to mirror the first half i think this would have ended up being my favorite mcu film of all because mm-hmm. um, i just think the fight sequences are the best that they've been period yeah um i really like the humor in it it kind of reminded me of the first ant-man in that way yeah. Um, whilst not not overplaying the humour too much, so you, you thought it was r- stupid, like in the Thor, um, r- like with Thor's character. Yeah, I know. Um, I really like Shang Chi as a Marvel hero. Um, he seems like a, just a really nice, <laughs> nice chap, and he's got cool powers both with the ten rings but also just his um martial arts fighting ability Mm. uh it wasn't like any kind of like romance thing to be getting involved with which i think can sometimes come across as a bit poor in these mcu films 
it was just about friendship and family and i think what uh, another key thing that i should have brought up was i really just appreciated the fact that it was a self-contained story it Mm -hmm. wasn't having to until the end anyway it wasn't having to um think about how it was going to be tying into the overall mcu um storyline for this phase um i I think anyone could watch this and understand the story like it's a very simple story about um a man going back to and his father and what his father's motives were even if like we said earlier his father's motives were a bit weak Mm. Um, at least it was clear yeah I would say so it's definitely clear, a lot clearer than most of the other villains that are within the MCU yeah so yeah for all those reasons I would give it a 4 and um, I, know, I know that I have when they first announced the, what was coming up um, for the like the next what how many however many years of MCU TV and films, um, but I forgot most of them. Um, I was going to ask: Has there been a sequel to this announced? I believe so. You believe I so? Or... I yeah, I can't remember whether they've definitively announced a sequel. Right. But I think there is one coming. Okay. Well, I really hope so. Um, okay. Because I want to see this character again, and I'm excited to see him return even if it is part of the next Avengers film sure so um, I think I'm mostly in agreement with you on this on this film and despite um, despite the fact that I have flip flopped on this quite a few times which have I decided to wait until the end um, I'm giving this a 3.5 out of 5 so it's not quite as high as you because I think that the villain's motive, um, the the weaker second half, just and how how much it grinds down to an absolute snail's pace in that second act, just I can't forgive it for those sorts of things. Like this, the CGI schlockfest at the end, whilst there were some redeeming moments in it, was very typical played by the books for Marvel at this point and it it was much to its hindrance rather than actually being decent but it has such a strong first half of the movie and narratively like it's simplistic it doesn't require you to do too much to think about it it's just a sit there and enjoy it and I really liked that actually and that was my favourite part of it when I went to go and see it in the cinema when it originally came out I, I came out with a smile on my face because I've really enjoyed the action with it and I I enjoyed the simple narrative you know not to say that I always not enjoy a simple narrative but this one was just in terms of like you said with the Marvel Cinematic Universe they didn't over rely on the, the constant nods and references to it it felt like it could stand completely on its own and I think that's too um, it's a positive in, 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 its, in that corner so yeah 3.5 for me very particularly strong movie actually considering that phase four i think's been quite for the majority been quite weak actually Mm, i'd agree so that's a surprise (laughs) um (laughs) what have we what's next 
that's a good question because oh it, it, uh, next up we've got the Eternals so this is mm. a new property once again mm. um, not not particularly characters that would that most people were o- overly enamoured with or knew much about going into it and I'll be the first to admit this is the first MCU movie I've never watched alright and I don't know why <laughs> so anyway um, do you want to let everyone know where they can get a hold of yourself on social media so they can send hate comments your way clearly? Yeah, um, <laughs> I'm at angry underscore Kurt on Twitter and we are at neverwatchers on Twitter. Yeah, and, and if also, you have... Go on. No, I was just going to say we're also in um, the um, various discords. True, yeah. Uh, we should keep mentioning that, yeah, modern escapism... Uh, Deadbeat Punks podcast. We're also in the in that one, so can't mention that out loud. Uh, Modern Scapism, Rapid Reviews, a few others as well. So give us give us a shout on there if you've got some criticism. If you if your criticism or your uh, agreeance happens to be longer than the two hundred and eighty characters on on Twitter, then you can always send an email to us at neverwatcherspodcast at gmail or you can send it to me on Twitter at pbeckett one. So. Uh, we will return with episode 40, which is the Eternals, like I said. Um, but if you're itching to find out what we think about it, take a couple of sleeps. And it'll, it might be there sooner than you think. But until then, we will see you next time. Goodbye. Bye. Bye.